Carlos to come up and continue our worship this morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. I have to set my computer up because if I don't, and I try and I'm used to working off my computer when I present. We're going to work off the screen, but what that means is for me to read the screen, I have to go like this. Now, fortunately, this mic is portable, right? But I just don't like that idea of having to turn around. So I, we'll start, if you can put up the, uh, yeah, the first slide, and uh, we'll start from here. But while we're doing that, I'm just going to boot up my computer and have it so that I've got it available, okay? So hopefully you don't, don't mind doing that. Uh, but the, we started off the, uh, the feast, um, the seven feast days, what we began with. Uh, Wayne took us through the first one in particular. This is going to be hard to do because now I have to get one hand to do this. Um, so we started off with the feast days. And, um, and if you want to go to the next slide. Okay, here we go. So the first one Wayne did for us. And that really dealt with the, uh, the Passover and how that was uh, tied into Jesus. And that's really the issue. Jesus fulfilled so much of the uh, opportunities of what we see in the lamb and the sacrifice of the Passover. Uh, and he really fulfilled a number of these ideas that have come together. The second one we did, Pastor James last week, taught us about the uh, unleavened bread and how Jesus represented, or the bread represents Jesus. And uh, it was bruised, it was pierced and striped, uh, and it was, Jesus was sinless. No leaven, the leaven representing that. So these two we've started with, and then now we're moving to something called first fruits. And on the first fruits idea, the most important part of this is to think about where it fits uh, into the, uh, the festivals, the seven festivals. Because from this slide, as you can see, the first fruits, um, these were part of what we consider the fulfilled parts of the feasts. These first four things that we see here were fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. So we're really dealing with the third part of that. Okay, so we can go to the next slide. So here's what we're going to cover this morning, and we'll do this fairly quickly as we can. I can speak very, very quickly, but I also have a lot to say. So, so try and follow along. If you don't catch something later, come and, come and see me. But what we're dealing with here is first, we'll just talk about what the introduction was from Leviticus. All of the seven festivals, the instructions for those were given to us in Leviticus, and that's where we'll, we'll go first. But I want to take a look more a little bit about um, this whole idea of offering, uh, the offerings, the, the gift, the sacrifices that were associated particularly with the first fruits. And that's what we'll spend some time doing. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of take a look in the context of our humanity, what we've done to that. Uh, and in many cases, and I think there's a lot of things we can relate to. But we'll get this idea of where we've sort of twisted this. I call it our human twisted nature, the fallen nature. And then finally, we're going to finish up talking about how Jesus fulfills this idea of the first fruits and how, in reality, it makes it so simple for us. He made it so simple for us. Um, You know, I'm actually a fairly simple-minded guy, and uh, my theology is based on the most simple things that you can imagine. Uh, Simple things from Genesis, simple things from the scriptures, and, uh, and I think... Oh, well, this is not good. It says my password is inc- my password is incorrect. <laughs> that's a, that's not good. Uh, so uh, maybe I'm not going to do it from here after all. But anyway, we'll see. Let me just get it right for a moment. I would tell you my password, but you know that wouldn't work. So uh, so anyway, as we go through there, we're going to go through there. So we can go to the next slide, please. 
Okay, so here's the verses from Leviticus that we first ran into. And while this is still booting up, I'm going to have to turn my back to you to take a look at this. But this is the instruction given. And uh, so, as you remember, he said that all seven, the instructions were given in Leviticus uh, together. Okay, so this is the third one, and it's first fruits. So the Lord told Moses to give these instructions to the Israelites. When you arrive in the land I'm giving you, and you harvest your first crops, bring the priests some grain from the first portion of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priests will lift it up before the Lord, so it may be accepted on your behalf. The same day, you must sacrifice a year-old male lamb and no, with no physical defects as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. A grain offering must accompany it, consisting of three quarts of choice flour mixed with olive oil. It will be offered, given to the Lord by fire, and it will be very pleasing to him. Along with this sacrifice, you must also offer one quart of wine as a drink offering. Do not eat any bread or roasted grain or fresh kernels on that day until after you have brought this offering to your God. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed wherever you are. Now, what I found as we looked at this, the instruction, fairly simple, uh, prepare this. Uh, the first fruits, indeed. The one key here that you want to notice, though, is that when they made this first harvest, the first harvest typically was barley. Uh, barley is the first to, to grow out. That's true in our uh, climate and environment here as well. There may be some different reasons for that. What, uh, I grew up on a farm, and we would plant some barley, usually barley and oats together, and they would, they would grow together. You know, they didn't grow as tall as wheat, and uh, my suspicion had always been that maybe that's part of their maturity. Why did they mature first? And I think it's because the barley is actually a little bit shorter, so it starts to mature and, and get the grain out first. But this was almost always referred to as barley the barley harvest, and that was typically in that Middle East area, the first harvest that they would come to. The instructions actually give you the uh, requirement of doing with every crop. Uh, So basically it comes up that way that each time a harvest of a different crop would come up, so perhaps they would do barley first, then when the wheat harvest was ready, they would have to repeat it. They would do the same. And uh, and that's part of what uh, becomes important for this whole process. So there was a fairly clear instruction. The first crop, when it would be ready at about that time, they had to bring a sample to the priest. The priest would offer this to God, and when he would offer it to the Lord as a sacrifice, then when God accepted that, it made the rest of the crop blessed. Okay, this is the principle of what was going on here. The blessing of the rest of the crop. It it was probably less important, this sample of the wheat was probably less important to the Israelites than thinking once it's accepted, you realize that then the rest of the crop is going to be accepted. Oh dear. It's a good thing I didn't do this from my computer this morning. (laughs) So, So this is the main principle. Now, I want to make one other comment about the, the, the Leviticus ideas, but I want to show you um, the next slide, so if we can go to the next one. This isn't actually the first time that we hear about this idea, and you'd think in Leviticus it would be the first time, but it's fulfilling a different purpose. It's, it's not a sin offering. A sin offering always carries with it uh, a blood sacrifice. Um, that's often the case, typically the lambs or the, the scapegoat that would be used and so on. So this one isn't set up as a sin offering. This is set up when the crops are ready. Okay? So that's the important thing. 
Also, it's not a tithe, although it's, it's similar to a tithe because it is part of the law. Okay, so there, the tithing would be something that we would do as we gain our increase, almost uh, in, the, in the worldly context. You can think of it almost like taxes in a sense. You know, as we gain our increases, we pay our tithes, and that comes to the church or to the, to the house of God. This is a bit different because, again, there's a context to this. Uh, in particular, when Leviticus is given the context, the words were there to instruct us that when they enter the promised land, when they enter the land that God would give them, then they have to begin to bring this first fruits offering. Why is that important? Well, it's important to realize that when they wandered in the desert for those years, and many of the children did not know anything but this time, God fed them manna every day. God was directly, by his hand, feeding them. He was responsible. They'd come to know that God provided for them. So they'd grown up with this concept that God provides for us. Now, the thing that moves on from there, now they go into the promised land, they begin to grow their own crops. The crops are there, they begin to harvest. It's very easy for the human mind to go, well, I know that God used to give it to us before, but look, I grew this crop. You know, this is mine. I did this. I planted these seeds. I've got this outcome. You know, and so it's very easy for some humanness to slide into this. We're no longer dependent every day for manna from God. Now we can grow our own crops. So I believe that in many cases like this, God is reminding us, because he, he has often instructed us, set up, the, set up the icons, set up the things. When they crossed over the river, they picked up stones, if you remember, and they built a little um, pile of stones to remember. So God's always been doing this with us. Remember. So part of this plan is also to remind them as they've wandered through the processes uh, where they came from. Uh, so the next slide, that actually, this idea of the feasts comes prior to what we see in Leviticus. Uh, and in fact, this one in Exodus and in 34:22 as well, it refers to um, three festivals. They didn't mention seven at that point. He referred to three festivals, okay? And in the three festivals, again, it's the same idea, though. You must celebrate the festival of the harvest by bringing the first crops, okay? And then uh, three times they had to appear. And there's more we could say about that, but we won't. But, they, but God was reminding them to appear. They had to bring the sample to the temple. And then finally, uh, as you harvest each of your crops, bring me a choice sample of the first day's harvest, can't be much clearer than that. Must be offered to the Lord your God. And again, when we get over to Deuteronomy on the next slide, and this one, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt, and he brought us into this place and gave us this land, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, this is an instruction to them what to say. And now, O Lord, I have brought you a token of the first crops you have given me from the ground. Then this is an instruction. Place the produce before the Lord of God and worship him. Afterwards, go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. And here's where, again, I think this is a difference between the tithe. That's what makes this different. With the tithe, we're bringing in, it's like a duty, it's a responsibility here. But here, these whole ideas of the first fruits is a celebration. It's a thanksgiving. It's remembering all the good things that God has done for us. That's where all of this piece comes from together. And this this is where it goes. 
So as we looked into this a little bit, I looked farther back, and I said, well, if it was before Leviticus, that's not the first time this instruction was given. Um, what's, what are the roots of giving? What are the roots of our offerings? What are our roots, and, and, and why? What's going on? So you find out that you had to go right back to Genesis. This is really one of the, other than the, the story of creation and the fall, this is the very next story in scriptures that comes to there. And I think it's, it's very important that we understand stories. And I like the Lauren's pick for the first song. This is my story, this is my song. Praising the Savior all the day long. I think God teaches us in stories. So we have so many things he's trying to tell us at once that the seven festivals are really put together as a story, if we think about it, and Jesus is fulfilling them. He's fulfilled some already. He'll fulfill the others on his second coming. So telling us a story, you know, Jesus said, you know, I, don't, I, I teach in parables because people can't really always understand everything. So this Leviticus story of the seven feasts is really one of the first times God's teaching us in story form something that's going to be fulfilled in a very historical way a little bit later. So when we go back to Genesis, this is the the important thing about Cain and Abel. So when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, and Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. So here's the first example of someone bringing an offering. Now, what's interesting, again, about this word uh, offering, uh, this type of thing, it's the same word, a sacrifice, an offering, a gift, um, is the same word in these early chapters of Genesis. So you could say gift. They brought a gift to God. Um, it, it wasn't a, a, an ordered sacrifice uh, that hadn't occurred yet. They seem to have come this way. A couple of interesting things here, too, to add. Cain it's a, was a cultivator of the ground. He, he was a farmer, essentially. Um, grew crops, perhaps uh, fruit. Uh, and he probably learned this from his father, Adam. So Adam uh, would have been established to do all this because the killing of animals, the use of animals for food, remember this time in Genesis, was not done. This was not the case. Animals were not kept for food. Uh, Animals were kept uh, perhaps to offer the clothing that was required. Um, This is where we first hear about animal skins being used to clothe Adam and Eve to help cover their sin. So there's a purpose for the sheep, but in this case, Cain's uh, work, he took after his father. He's the firstborn. He's taking after his father. This is a very esteemed type of position, the firstborn. Abel, on the other hand, is keeping the sheep, which may still have needed to be used for uh, offering or sacrifice, uh, a reminder. This is all very, very possible. This is, this is a less noble position. He's not taken after his father. It's like, well, Cain's got the firstborn right to be the, the farmer, um, so what's Abel going to do? Well, we'll let, him, we'll let him keep the sheep. You know, when we need a sheep because we need more clothes, then we'll call Abel. And, and so it may well have been that Cain was also instructed to Eve that, uh, at, the, at the time that from the line, a savior would come to compensate for their sin. It, it's very possible, especially even given the name Cain, that she thought Cain was the promised one. It's, it's conceivable, say, from the name and the instruction, and she had a son, 
and this is probably the case. So even there, Cain may have been held up a little bit more. He was the eldest. He had the role of his father. Abel had this little role as a shepherd. You know, I will let him play with the animals, let him go away over there. So, so it was not so much noble. So it perhaps isn't so surprising when you begin to look at this that uh, what has happened is that when Abel brought his sacrifice and was accepted and Cain's wasn't, that Cain, it's not a surprise Cain was upset. Cain had probably never had that situation happen. This is one of the first times he did that. And, and you realize that these guys, Cain and Abel, they may have been doing this. If you look at the ages of when the children were born, they may have been doing this for a hundred years. If you look at the ages, this is not an instruction here that suggests this is the first time they came. They probably were doing this for years. And they would come together and make their offerings. So the, the question is, why, why is this one different? What happened here is different. So I looked at some commentators, and I have, I have uh, many books on Genesis. Anybody who knows me knows I probably have many books on Genesis, and, and I do. So I'm, I have three references here that I'm using. And a couple of interesting things. It says they came, this translation says, at harvest time. Most of them say, in the course of time, which kind of gives you that sense that maybe it's just, well, it happened. You know, something went by and it happened. Uh, but in fact, the translation, the literal translation, is after the end of days. After the end of days. So, if you will, if I, if I can use it in my language today, I would just say, at the appointed time. The boys came at the right time to do this. So there was a right time and there was a wrong time. There was an appointed time. At the end of days was when they would have come. There's another part that says, really, uh, when they, God talks to Cain a bit later, and he says, you would be accepted if you, if you respond in the right way. And this is interesting, too. Some people think it is probably an attitude idea, but again, Responding in the right way means there's a right and there's a wrong. And so there's, there's logically, as uh, Henry Morris describes, there probably did have instructions, maybe given from Adam to, their, to the sons. Perhaps Adam demonstrated this idea of bringing the gifts. It may have been done there, and uh, they could have done that, but there probably indeed is a right and a wrong way for the boys to do this, and Abel came in the right way. Uh, Sir Fadi, uh, uh, an Australian guy, writes uh, a lot of stuff about Genesis, and he thinks that there is something to do with the blood of the sacrifice that Abel brought, the fact that he brought a lamb, uh, whereas Cain brought the fruit, but, uh, and he points to a verse in Hebrew. So some people take that approach, that it was a blood sacrifice, which would have been a sin-related sacrifice, but that does not seem to be the case. And Leupold, who really, seems to be the expert on how do you translate Genesis. Leupold is um, quoted by the other guys quite frequently, so he seems to be the main source that you go to. But he says, regarding the language, the contrast is really marked. So we want to distinguish the features of the sacrifice. These sacrifices are different. It's not just like, well, Cain brought his sacrifice and Abel brought his. That's not what the language is implying. The language is implying that there's something significant happened. And, and even Luther recognizes this again when he talks about God regarding with favor, that it directs it to the person first and then to the offering. And this is a key principle right here, is that for later in Leviticus, for fruit, first fruits offering and so on, it's about the person that brings the offering. The offering is, is a piece of it, but it's the person there. So basically, Leupold comes to this conclusion, and he says, since no commandment is recorded, so we don't know exactly what the boys were supposed to do when they brought things to God for this particular sacrifice. They don't know. 
um, it's probably closer to the truth that it's the issue of the devout spirit and the gratitude towards what God has done. These boys, you know, I'm sorry, I have found as I've been working on this frequently, it just draws a lot of emotion out of me, and so I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. It just is it's the way it is today. I just, I'm going to have a lot of emotion to finish this up. But what happens here is the boys could have called God grandfather. Granddad, I brought you something. Isn't that a great feeling when that happens? Granddad, I brought you something. It's, it's like he's Adam's father, if you will. They, they may have been really in awe and called him Lord God. But I can, I can really feel Abel coming to God and saying, <clears throat> you know, Granddad, I'm here. Hey. Granddad, what happened in the garden? Can you tell me that story? They could have been doing this for years. They met with God face to face. And what what a story. Because even meeting God face to face and having that opportunity to chat with him, Cain and Abel still took two different approaches at this point in time. Maybe doing this many times. Was Cain bored? I don't know. Did Cain as the firstborn think, well, I'm the firstborn, I have the right did he think that? We can't quite tell from the scripture exactly what he was thinking. But when he presented, he presented some of his fruits from his garden. Cain, or Abel rather, brought the first of his flock, the best, some call it the fatty portions, the best of the meat he brought. Cain didn't, Abel did. Abel came with a heart of worship. Two weeks ago, we sang this song, and, uh, and, and I really like the way this is worded because it, it really says a message in itself. But, you know, we can bring a song. We come and bring our songs in worship. But God's, I'm sure God loves music. He does. But when we're singing and we're doing the worship, he's looking at our heart. It's our heart that's there. It's the heart of worship that God is seeking. And this is how we've seen it come out of Abel, and Cain, and that situation is rolling through. It rolls through Leviticus, where God says, just remember, when you get into the new land, remember, I'm still your provider. Remember that. Come and, 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 and bring this sacrifice. So God told us the story, by the time we get to Leviticus, he told us the story unfolding in all seven of the feasts, so that we can put the pieces together when the time comes. He's very good at telling us a story. And there's a line here which is very interesting in this song, and this is really what caught my eye. Um, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. Have you ever noticed that line in the song before? I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it? What, what does that mean? How, how does that mean? Well, oftentimes we start out with good intentions, and, uh, and, and this is the kinds of things that can happen. Jesus entered the temple area, drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to my house will be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. Okay, so what's going on there? People traveled to the temples. It was probably started as a real convenience. Somebody said, yeah, I've got some doves. Do you need some doves? And you had to travel here from where? Really, come on, okay, well you know, a couple of pennies, and, and I'll get you a dove, and that's what you need. Because people had to travel to get there, and they had to do that. So it probably started out as a very legitimate service industry within the church to help people get what they needed to complete the laws and the requirements. It started out well. 
what's happened by the time you get to Jesus' day, it's corrupt. It is translated into so many things to the point where he actually threw them tables over and he threw them out of the temple. This should have been worship. People were bringing their, their sacrifices for worship, to thank God. They're following the instructions, and yet people have taken it and, and turned it. In this case, um, this is interesting because I don't wish to, I do not know Paula White Kane. I don't know her at all. I don't know her ministries. I do not want to judge her as a person. Not my intention. Please, not my intention. But this is what she has done. She is the head of the president, I'm sure this was Trump, the president's evangelical advisory committee. And she suggested, she's going to the Proverbs verse, she said, make a donation to her ministries to honor the religious principle of first fruit. And this is coming from Newsweek now. She said, which she said is the idea that all firsts belong to God, including the first harvest and apparently the first month of your salary. This is the way the world is looking at it. And this little clip below, Paula writes, I want to bless you this season. And then she writes on more. Sow your first fruits offering here. And this just offends me. It really offends me. Because, you, 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 and I think it's no coincidence that her last name is Cain. <laughs> is that coincidence? I don't know. I, I, I thought I missed that the first time I looked at the quote, and then I saw this later. But, you know, this is just bizarre to me. I, I don't understand how people can do this. So, you know, I'm sorry, God, for the, the way we've made it. You know, so many things we have done, which we take our human perspective, because the verse is very clear. Proverbs 3.9 is where this comes from. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything your land produces, the next sentence, then he will fill your barns and grains and your vats will overflow with the finest wine. So some ministers are preaching this prosperity gospel where they're saying, uh, look, do this, give, and you'll be so blessed. And I think that just misses the whole point of what Proverbs is trying to say. That if you go back to just what I have on the picture, honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your prov- uh, produce, stop there, please. Just stop reading that verse there because it, we come to give. Abel and Cain to give to God. Leviticus instructing us how to give of our first fruits, remembering God, worshiping God. It's all there. You can go all the way into Revelation then and you say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. He's worthy because he created all things. They exist because of that. So there's a principle to worship here. And it goes from Genesis in, in Abel all the way through to Revelation. God is worthy. This is what our sacrifice is for. Okay, so that's sort of the history in the background. Just a couple more slides, almost. And, and I'm sorry you're being detained today, but just a couple slides quickly. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Okay, how does that fit now? How does Jesus come in to fulfill this first fruits? We've, we've established that it's a remembrance of what God has done for us. It's a thanksgiving to what God has done for us. It's a gift back to God to respond to him. That's what our worship is. Okay, so how is Jesus fulfilling that? Because he was the first who's been raised from the dead, the first fruits. Well, first of all, he was the firstborn son of God. He was the firstborn. So indeed, he was a first. He was already a firstborn. Firstborn of the Father. Luke writes, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. That's the angel's message to Mary. So first of all, he's the first son of God. 
I think it's no coincidence, and again, I would love to elaborate on this, but the shepherds were the first to hear this message of the angels singing when Jesus was born, and uh, they were the first to hear this. And to me, you know, Abel, the honorable shepherd, the righteous shepherd who brought what was good in God's eyes to him, I think it's an interesting and no coincidence at all that the angel's message is to the shepherds, Abel's lineage, if you will. Uh, it's just too much of a coincidence to me. So again, it just pleases me. I, you don't want to overread that too much, but it just pleases me that Abel's faithfulness is spotted in the shepherds at the time Jesus was born. The Lamb of God, the shepherds. Beautiful times. <clears throat> and then later, as he was praying, he said, the, the voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son, and I am fully pleased with you. So he was the firstborn Son of God. He was the firstborn of Mary as well. So his human nature was also a firstborn. And it's interesting, we read the story in Luke again about Simeon, who was living in the temple, and the Holy Spirit told him he'd see the Messiah. So the Holy Spirit was speaking to people. Um, You're going to hear a little bit more about Pentecost uh, next week in the festival, but indeed, individually, the Holy Spirit would speak to people and tell them so. And this is a pretty specific message. You know, the Holy Spirit told Simeon, go to the temple. First of all, he told them, you're going to see the Messiah. But then he said, go to the temple at this time and place. And they were bringing in Jesus to honor him, uh, to, to fulfill the law, really, to present him in the temple and to do that. So he was the firstborn of God. He was the firstborn of Mary. And uh, Simeon saw that. But Simeon continues in his speech because Jesus, even as a baby, was the first to reveal God to the nations. And he said this, Simeon's uh, quoting again, Lord, now I can die in peace as you have promised me. I have seen the Savior. You have given to all people. So he's no longer just for the nation of Israel. No longer just for the nation. It's for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations. He's the glory to your people, Israel. So there's at least right there three different kinds of firsts. The firstborn son of God, the firstborn of Mary as a human child, the first to be revealed. And if Simeon said this out loud with very many of the the Jewish uh, Pharisees around him, he might have been stoned because, again, they separated. They believed they were the chosen people, not anyone else. So what Simeon said here is very prophetic. It's very leading into the story of how Jesus is going to fulfill this first fruits. And uh, in Wayne's discussion, he mentioned about John the Baptist, who himself had the right of a priest, saying, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not the sin of Israel, not the sin of the nation, the sin of the world. And, uh, and again, um, Romans refers to that, and it basically says that just like the entire batch of dough is holy, if you take the portion, the offering, and in uh, my scripture, it says at the bottom, the translation from Greek for the offering, they use the word first fruits. So it's interesting that in the Greek, that seems to be the case. So, so you have the first fruits offering a little bit. The first makes the whole batch holy. So what else do we know? What else can we say? Second last slide. Almost done. <laughs> okay, so the first fruits offering. So here now we have this situation. Jesus is lying dead in the tomb. Okay, we've come through the Passover the passion of Christ as he, was, as he was fulfilling that. His sinless nature to get in there. But now, he's dead. He's in the tomb and he's dead. So what's the Father going to do? What is our Father Creator 
what is his response? Well, let's think about how Jesus lived. We can think about how he died because of that horrible vision of the cross and the punishment leading into that. But how about how he lived? He said, these are things, words from Jesus. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is Jesus' life. Talked about children. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. He loved his father. He said, you should love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul. And soul and mind, rather, sorry. This is the great and first commandment, but this is also important, much like the first thing he said. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Look, all the way along, after Adam and Eve fell, all the way along, people kept saying, oh, if you'd just been clearer, God, we'd have gotten it right. And, oh, well, if you just give us some judges, we'd get it right. If you just give us some kings, we could get it right if we had kings. Oh, we could get it right if we had some more rule. Can you just clarify that again? And Jesus came, this is so beautiful. This is why my, my theology is really so simple. Jesus said this. These are the only things you've got to remember. Two things. You know, all the rest is based on this. Right? All the rest is based on this. You don't have to do anything more. Love your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do those things, you fulfill everything. It's so easy. So he had a heart of worship. But the other thing that I find quite interesting is this last thing. And he said to the disciple he loved, here is your mother. This is when he was hanging on the cross. Now, the last things he could have said, he had the disciple there. He could have said, uh, John, remember, I'm about to go. So remember, um, remember that when we raised Lazarus? Remember how people reacted? Wasn't that great? Don't forget that. Or you remember the, the lepers we, we healed? You remember that? Hey, you remember the time we sent Peter fishing and he pulled the coin out of the mouth? Do you remember that? I want you to remember that. Make sure you write that down. All the things he could have said. What did he do? The last things he gave, the last instructions he gave to the people on earth, he said, this is your mother. Look after your mother. Isn't that neat? For Mother's Day, what a great opportunity to point that out, right? This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived. He respected other people. He was a servant. He, He loved the children. He respected and loved his father. And even to the point of, I won't say most of all, but on Mother's Day, I'm going to take a little privilege and say most of all, how he loved his mother. He did this. It was beautiful. The last, most important thing he took care of when he only had moments left to live, look after your mother. Beautiful. So he was the first to live his life as a sacrifice. We do focus a lot on his death, and we've done that in the first part. Here, I'm focusing on his life. We should do this often. Focus on Jesus' life. There is this idea, what would Jesus do? I often turn that back around and say, no, what did Jesus do? You know, we've got lots of stuff to, to look at. What did he do? And, uh, and that's where you get this whole principles from. Let's look at his life. He had a heart of worship. He was the first to live as a sacrifice, a gift to God the Father. He was without sin. And again, in 2 Corinthians, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And he gave up his life, trusting the Father to raise him up to do that. So would the Father do it? He's, here's the first fruit offering. The life has been lived. Jesus is dead in the grave. What's the Father's response? Does he accept us? What is he going to do? 
Here we have it. Here we have it. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Because he is worthy so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Scripture tells us that if we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. You see, Jesus was the first fruits. It's simple for us because he represents the crop. We're the crop. We're the rest of the crop. Jesus went first. God has accepted him. Therefore, we just have to believe and we're accepted. We're part of the crop. It's not simple. We put a lot of ideas on, on how complicated the gospel can be. A lot of interesting theology. It's very interesting. Complicated stuff. And that's sometimes fun, but we also fight wars over it at times, so it can be very awkward at times. Life is this simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your mind. Jesus went first. It's already done. We don't have to bring all the baggage of our life, all the baggage of our history. All those things have to be sorted out. Well, that's life. That's living humanity. But our salvation? So simple, folks. So simple. The First Fruits Festival tells us that you bring the first. If the first is acceptable, then the rest of the crop is good. And we're the crop. Jesus already did it. And that's the end of today's message. I'm sorry I've taken you longer. I was trying to go fast. <laughs> but if we can just close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning. And uh, I just pray that you'll, you'll grant these good folks uh, a, a good and graceful afternoon. Uh, they need to be thinking of their mothers and uh, hopefully having an opportunity to commune or communicate with them. And uh, we won't uh, tally any longer here. We just uh, realize how great this has been. And we just pray that you'll continue to remind them of the righteousness of people like Abel, um, humans who could do the job uh, better than we could. And ultimately, though, in Jesus, who just simply lived a 